Well, good morning, church family. Hey, uh, Jeff is guest teaching somewhere in Michigan, and so uh, we'll have him back with us next week. I have the opportunity to spend the morning with you, and I'm just thrilled uh, for this time here together. We're talking about charting the course, and this is our teaching series around our priorities together as a church family. And there are lots of virtues and values that a church family could have, lots of great things in the Bible that we could uphold. But if you were to get that down to a really short list, what would you narrow it down to? And for us, that wasn't a hypothetical question. That was actually what we did. And we came up with a list of what we think is maybe not, you know, for all churches for all time, but we think it's a pretty good list for this church for now. And here's the list. Uh, Jeff introduced this last week. Pursue him daily. Connect in community. Serve one another. Reach your world. And Jeff will spend these next two weeks uh, talking about these two. Today, though, we're going to talk about connect, connect in community. And not just any community, biblical community. And the Bible has a special word for biblical community called fellowship. Now, let's just admit right up top here, fellowship is a bit of kind of a wonky word, isn't it? What do you think of when you think of fellowship? Maybe you think of some hobbits and warriors trudging through the forest with a magic ring. Or maybe you think of a, uh, a musty church basement potluck, and there's you know, four different versions of ambrosia fruit salad. Or maybe you think of nothing, because it really has no positive or negative association for you. It's such a churchy word, you don't even really use it out in our culture much. Or maybe you've been hanging around Christians long enough that you know discipleship. Now that is the, you know, strapping, virile, big brother of faith growth. And fellowship is kind of the, you know, gawky, awkward second cousin. And there are preachers lining up to tell you what is at the heart of the gospel. And they would say, oh, it's it's evangelism. Or it's discipleship. Or it's justice. Or they say, oh, let's just come back to the heart of worship. And meanwhile, fellowship is kind of over in the corner, and it's this sort of 1950s campfire concept that still wears a turtleneck. So let's you know, blow a little dust off of this word fellowship and get reacquainted with it. Before we do that, though, a little warning here. Don't mistake fellowship for friendship. You know, sometimes we can think, oh, those are just synonyms for each other, but they're not. Our world offers friendship, but our Bible describes fellowship. And look, I'm not down on friendship in any way. I like friendship. I even have a a few friends. But there is one big, massive, not-to-be-understated difference between friendship and fellowship. And I hope that as we sort of spend some time with these words, that you find and fall in love with that one big difference. But first, let's start here. My wife, uh, Laura, and I were living in Iowa. We just moved back here a couple months ago. And during our time there in Iowa, we were renting a condo for part of our time. Our landlady was a retired gal that lived uh, in the area. And I don't know if she just watched a lot of TV or whatnot, But she would sometimes bring us gifts that she had uh, bought off the home shopping network. And 
it was very kind of her. Um, it led to some awkward moments, though. One Christmas time, she brought us this large tapestry that you're supposed to hang on your wall. And it was of a, uh, a Thomas Kincaid painting. So if you're familiar with his work. And it had embedded in it these LED lights that would uh, sparkle and, and, you know. And our son Judah was like five at the time. He thought this thing was awesome. You know, you put it up on the wall. We'd turn down the lights. You'd watch it glow. Uh, my wife Laura and I, on the other hand, Let's just say it didn't match the rest of our Christmas decor, okay? And we, you know, we didn't say that to her, of course. I wouldn't, like, say that to her face. I'd, I'd rather talk about her in church, right? <laughs> but so we said things like, oh, that's, that's so unique, or uh, how thoughtful, um, or, oh, would you look at that? You know, all, all true statements, of course, right? The trouble was that she lived in the area... And she would just drop by, often. And so we, you know, we tried to set a boundary, and, and, and we said, could you call first before you drop by? And um, she said, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. But then, no joke, she would uh, call and say, hey, could I drop by? And, and then we would say, yeah, that'd be great. When would you like to come by? And she would say, well, well actually, I'm, I'm parked out front. I'm like, okay, yeah. So we had this tapestry rolled up in our front entry hall, and then if we got the call, we would quickly put it up on the wall. See, and so now you're finding out what kind of disingenuous people we are, right? Um, you know, but it's okay. We don't, we don't live there in Iowa anymore, so now we, now we can be fake with people in Naperville. So, um, and, the, you know, the next uh, Christmas, she gave us the matching tree skirt. So... So if you're ever at a white elephant gift exchange with me and you get a tapestry or a tree skirt, then, you know, you'll know what happened, right? Actually, one time, Laura and I were at a white elephant gift exchange and we got a kitten. It was like in a box with holes punched in the box. And we actually kept that cat for several years, but that's another story. So um, over time, though, I began to realize why she was always dropping by. It was because... We took the time with her. We got to know her. We had conversation. She didn't have very many friends. And we are disconnected people, and we suffer from being disconnected. And the signs are clear. The average American now spends, uh, the average American states they have only two close friends. That's down from three close friends 25 years ago. A quarter of Americans say that they have no one with whom they can discuss personal troubles. That is double the number from 1985. Men have the fewest friends, and experts say that of the friends we have, they provide the least emotional support, and there's the lowest levels of self-disclosure. If a man does have a confidant, three out of four times it's a woman, usually our wives or our girlfriends. Retirees spend more than half of their leisure time watching television. That's over four hours a day. By the way, I love television. I, I don't know if it's just having a bunch of young kids, but my wife and I feel guilty sometimes. We're just like rushing them off to bed so that we can have unstructured, irresponsible time. Can I get a witness? You know, I just want to zone out, you know. Anyway, 
Uh, I'm not a good dad after like 9 (laughs) o'clock. We lack friendship. We're designed for community, but we've forgotten how to get there. You know, past studies show that actually many people who shop on like QVC or the Home Shopping Network are shopping for the same reason that people join street gangs. We want to be part of something. You know, when you shop, you can call in and give a testimonial or you can connect with the host or other shoppers. Text messaging. In the year 2000, Americans sent 15 billion text messages. Now, if that sounds like a lot, today we send 200 billion text messages. Experts say that they're worried about the difference between communicating and actually connecting. Facebook. A recent Pew Research survey of adults found that 70% of us are on Facebook, and of those of us that are on Facebook, half of us check our Facebook accounts multiple times a day. And that sounds like a lot of people doing a lot of great connecting, doesn't it? But most experts say that the problem is, quote, we spend so much time maintaining superficial connections online that we aren't spending enough time on real-life relationships. Too much chatter and not enough conversation. And these are, you know, these are complex, these are personal types of issues. We each have our thing that masks the truth that we feel disconnected, whether that's our phone or our shopping sprees or my DVR, your workaholism. On a good day, though, anyone can experience friendship. Friendship is a good, natural, human need. It's a function of what theologians would call God's common grace. Common grace is God's goodness in life that everyone gets to experience, whether you're a follower of the one true God or not. Grass between your toes. The sweet taste of a peach. Job satisfaction. Humor. Winning, uh, the, the breeze on your face, or the wind at your back. Those are all examples of God's common grace. Jesus points out, he says this, God causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. So as a form of common grace, you don't have to be a God-fearing person to experience true friendship. You don't have to be a Christ follower to have great friends. You know, when Laura and I first moved to Iowa, we, uh, it was Halloween, and we took our son to this nice, upper-class suburban neighborhood. We knew there were lots of young families there, and we went there to take him trick-or-treating. And it was like four in the afternoon. The sun was still up. We got out, and we started walking in the neighborhood, and we saw this dad with one of these red radio flyer wagons he was pulling along and in the wagon was a cooler and the cooler was filled with beers and he was having one of the beers as he was following his kid along going trick-or-treating and we thought wow you know you don't see that every day right that's a bold guy right and then as we were walking further through the neighborhood we saw another dad doing the same thing and then we saw another and then we saw another And then after about a half hour, we realized this whole neighborhood is swarming with dads and not a few moms too 
that are, you know, taking their radio flyer wagons and they've got their coolers and they've got their beer, you know, open container and people are laughing and people are talking and they're helping little Johnny along and they're stopping to connect with each other and they're being hospitable, you know, and, and the kid's got like a lightsaber or a magic wand or something and, and then mom and dad have like a Heineken or a Paps Blue Ribbon. But here's my point. They were all experiencing great community. I've never been in a friendlier neighborhood. <laughs> they were experiencing God's common grace uh, in all of its grainy, hopsy goodness. You know. So that begs this obvious question. If anyone can have friendship anytime, then what difference does God and the church make? And this is really the crux of it, isn't it? Because you could be out golfing right now. You could be out shopping with your girlfriends right now. You could be at Starbucks reading a book right now. So why are you here? Why seek connection in the church? Is it because you want something wholesome? You know, wholesome is good, but Disneyland could give you wholesome. Good is nice, but we aren't looking for good. We're looking for God. We're not here for something wholesome. We're here for something holy, right? In the end, friendship falls short of what we were made for. You know, I grew up in uh, Orange County, California, uh, just south of Los Angeles, the O.C., I remember um, it was one night in high school, maybe like my junior or senior year in high school, and I was laying on my bed. I was waiting for my friend to call me back. We were trying to figure out what to do that night, and we were having trouble coming up with our plans. And as I was laying there, I had this thought. You know, I live in one of what might be considered the more ideal counties, in what might be considered one of the more ideal states, in maybe what many would consider one of the more ideal countries, in what you could argue would be one of the more ideal eras in human history. And I can't figure out what to do on a Friday night. Why? And I realized that it wasn't because Google or other search engines hadn't been invented yet to guide me in my path. It was because ultimately, the world cannot deliver on what my soul craves. I was made for something different. I was made for something more. What we really need is beyond friendship, it's fellowship. Fellowship is when we, by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, are gracious with each other. We encourage each other. We're empathetic to each other's problems. We're authentic with each other. We forgive each other. We have healthy conflict with each other. We accept one another. We confront one another. We confess to each other. We build each other up. We just generally grow in faith together. You know, in the uh, fall of 2008, I flew back to L.A., and I was doing a, uh, a friend's wedding, and it was in this nice garden restaurant area on a hilltop overlooking the city, and you could see all the twinkling lights of L.A. It was very pretty. 
Well, earlier that day, we had been at the groom's hotel, and I was there with uh, seven guys. It was myself and the groom and, and the other groomsmen. And uh, even though I was officiating, I knew many of the guys, and many of them were Christ followers. And there with us, too, was this uh, 20-something photographer. He was just getting these sort of candid shots of the uh, groom with his entourage before the day's events unfolded. And as we're hanging out in the hotel room, I remember saying to the guys, hey, what do you like about Sam, the groom? And guys started to share. And then there was some crying. And then there was some laughing. And then there was some praying. And then I remember we left the room. We were walking down this long hallway towards the elevator. And as we were walking, the uh, photographer was walking next to me. And he said to me, what was that? And he said, you know, I've done a lot of weddings, but what was that? I've never experienced anything like that. And I told him about Jesus. And I told him about a church in the area that I knew and that I trusted. You know, our fellowship can be a witness to a watching world. They'll know that we are Christians by our love, right? That photographer witnessed the difference between friendship and fellowship. And he was immediately drawn to its power. Here's Jesus praying just hours before his arrest. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying out to the Father. He says, my prayer is that all of them, that is the Christians that are yet to come, that's us, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is saying, Father, do what only you can do. Give my followers a supernatural linkage and then every good thing that cascades from that, just as you and I, Father, have a supernatural linkage. Oh, And Father, would you make that inspiring to those who don't have that supernatural linkage yet? Like photographers in L.A.? What is the difference between friendship and fellowship? God. Having a relationship with God through the power of His Holy Spirit, abiding in Christ, is the starting point for friendship between us. God is the difference maker that turns friendship into fellowship. Listen, the difference between friendship and fellowship is how much you believe that God is a change agent. If you don't think that God changes the equation very much, then I don't think there's really that much difference between friendship and fellowship. But if you believe that God fundamentally transforms everything that he touches then there is a vast difference between friendship and fellowship. In fact, we could uh, look at it this way. Friendship plus the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us, that is what equals this brand new, amazing, awesome thing called fellowship. The vertical, though, with God is what unlocks the horizontal for us to be able to be in fellowship with each other. 
if we are in Christ, abiding in Christ, then uh, fellowship takes on this different supernatural dimension that is beyond mere friendship. In fact, let's look at what the Apostle John has to say. He says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now notice the equation here. Where does the fellowship start? It starts with, we have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And that has been so impactful on us that we want to proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So that, what's the result we're hoping for? So that you may also have fellowship with us. It starts with the vertical, and that enables us to have fellowship with each other horizontally. Let's look at a different uh, verse also out of 1 John. But if we as Christians walk in the light, just as he, Jesus Christ, is in the light, then we'll have fellowship with one another. Again, notice it starts with us connecting with him that enables us to connect with each other. The vertical unlocks the horizontal. And by the way, in this verse, notice that it doesn't say if we stand in the light. It says if we walk in the light. This requires some intentionality by us, some working out of our faith. So where does fellowship have its starting point? Well, you know, fellowship actually existed before any of us were around. Fellowship has its source in the Godhead, in the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in eternal fellowship with one another, it tells us in the Bible. This is the cosmic original model of true fellowship. True community exists before creation even happened. Mankind wasn't created, though, because God was lonely. God is relationally and socially self-sufficient. And yet, God has always sought fellowship with man. Even from the beginning, he walked in the Garden of of, uh, Eden. He was approachable. He was accessible to Adam and Eve. And then further on in Genesis, it says that God took Enoch directly to heaven without dying. Why did he do that? It says that Enoch walked in close fellowship with God. Enoch had a great-grandson, a guy you might have heard of named Noah. Let's see what the Bible has to say about Noah. It says, Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And what? He walked in close fellowship with God. You know, that's not just something for the ancients. You and I, we can walk in close fellowship with God. That's what we're made for. God has always sought fellowship with man. You know, in the Old Testament, when the idea of fellowship is present, it's almost always present in the uh, Jewish sacrificial system. And let me just, uh, there's lots of different animal sacrifices and different and offerings that are in this system, but let me just mention two quickly. One, there are burnt offerings, and then another kind were called peace offerings or fellowship offerings. And with your burnt offerings, the animal, minus the hide, was cut up into parts, and it was placed on the altar, and the entire animal was incinerated as an offering to the Lord. And uh, the, the Bible says the aroma was pleasing to God, that he sent the, the respect and the connect that was coming from that. In the peace offerings, in the fellowship offerings, 
It's a little bit different. The entire animal was also cut up into pieces, but only the fatty parts, only the choice parts, were put on the altar to be incinerated as an offering to the Lord. The other parts of the animal, some was given to the priest who was officiating the ceremony, and then the rest was given to the family that was giving the offering, that they would take that and make a meal out of it. And the idea here was that you weren't just in relationship with God, but that you were at peace with God, that you were close with God. In fact, you were so close that you could have a meal with him. You could have a shared experience with him. He was, you know, eating some of it as the aroma was lifting up to him, and you were having some of it. And in this Middle Eastern cultures, the idea of sharing a meal was a very big deal. It signaled closeness, affection, a bond, a brotherhood. And here God hasn't even come yet incarnate as Jesus Christ, and yet he's saying to his people that he wants to remain close to them, that he wants to eat with them. And here's a cool thing. That's all happening at the beginning of the Bible, right? If we go all the way in the story arc to the very end of the Bible, this is Jesus talking to the church in uh, Revelation. He's speaking to us collectively, individually. Here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will what? I will eat with that person and they with me. Here's Jesus in the New Testament saying to believers, I want to eat with you. Translation, I want to be in close fellowship with you. Isn't that cool? He wants to come in close. Now listen, this is an important thing about this verse. In this verse, Jesus is speaking to Christians. He's talking to people who are already believers. So that leads maybe to this question. If these people are already in relationship with God, then why does Jesus need to invite them into fellowship with him? The reason is because fellowship is not automatic in relationship. Just because I'm in relationship with my wife doesn't mean that I'm in fellowship with my wife. Can I get an amen, gentlemen? Sometimes I do or say things that are senseless and break fellowship. Similarly, just because Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that we are automatically in step with the Spirit or that we're acting by the Spirit. It's not that there are stages or levels to faith or connectedness to God. It's that our heart, our motives shift. We're not always abiding in Christ. Now, the Bible teaches us that when we accept Christ, His Holy Spirit comes on us and is solid with us and obviously goes with us everywhere we go. But when we are looking to Him, when we're turning to Him, when we have Him like on our radar, that's when things take on a different element. And this idea in the Bible is called abiding in Christ. Or other translations would call it remaining in Christ. In fact, let's go back to 1 John and let's take a look at what he has to say about this. You, uh, so you, Christians, must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will abide in Christ. You will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. Or let's take a look at another verse also in 1 John. And now, dear children, that is, Christian believers, remain in fellowship with Christ. Abide in Christ. Or here it is again. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. 
that promise of abiding in Christ. You know, just as fellowship is not automatic between uh, believers and God, that takes intentionality, so also it's not automatic between two believers. You could have two flint rocks, but it's not until you strike them against each other that you actually get a spark. Let's take a look at a verse. Uh, This is Jesus speaking, and perhaps you've been encouraged by this verse before. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Now notice the the, uh, caveat in this verse. In my name. Because you can have two or three Christians gather, and they can have friendship. But it's when we are mutually abiding in Christ, when we gather in his name, that things are unlocked, and they take that different element, and we enter into a space of fellowship. So how do I get to the place where my time with other Christians is marked by fellowship? Well, first, when we get together with other believers in, you know, like in small groups out there, for example, we can make God the topic of our conversation. Would you be willing to share with other Christians what it is that you're enjoying in your life with God? Would you be willing to tell them uh, how you're seeing God at work in your world? Or perhaps being vulnerable enough to say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with in my life with God. Or to say, hey, these are the the doubts that I'm wrestling with. You know, in, uh, in 2008, we moved to Iowa. Around that same time, another couple that had been in our small group here at uh, Compass Church had moved, but they had moved to, to St. Charles. But we had stayed in touch with them, and, and we actually had some skiing out in the area that we were at in Iowa, believe it or not, decent skiing for the Midwest. And this family, every February, would come out, and we'd do a little ski day together and have done that for the last seven years in a row. And in the morning, we'd help the kids go skiing. And then in the afternoon, just the husband and I would go skiing, and we would egg each other on and and try some ski tricks that were maybe not age-appropriate. You know, and uh, I remember one time we were on this terrain park, and there was the uh, half pipe. We were skiing down the half pipe trying to, you know, be cool. And then this middle schooler came screaming past me. He was like, get out of the way, old man. I was like, wow, I guess... Age is relative, you know. But, you know, the funny thing about skiing is you go down, but then you have to go back up. And for my friend and I, that ski lift, that chair lift, became a a sacred summit point where we would spend time each year on that chair lift, and we would say, how's it really going in your life? How's it really going between you and God? How's it really going in your inner private world? How's it really going in your family? You know, God loves us more intimately than anyone could. And when you share that with another person, you're sharing the most intimate part of your inner world. There is no more uh, deeper or transformative type of conversation that you could have with another person than to have a God-centered conversation. Besides making him just the the topic of our conversation, we could allow him also to guide our conversation, to be the leader of our conversation 
when we're talking with other believers, God wants to have a side conversation going on with you as you're talking to other believers. He has encouraging words he wants to say to other Christians through you. He wants to maybe lovingly challenge or confront another believer, perhaps through you or or through you with a group of friends or whatever that looks like. He wants us to confess our sins to each other publicly, but in the safety and the intimacy of a group of believers. He wants you to feel his pleasure, his acceptance through God's people. You know, I, I remember uh, many years ago, my wife Laura and I were in a small group here at Compass Church, and um, one of the couples was pregnant for the first time, and an ultrasound showed that there was maybe some problems with the internal uh, organs of the baby. And when we got together for small group that night, the lesson plan was out the window. And we spent the time just, there was a lot of raw emotion as the wife was, you know, sharing, you know, how, God, how could you do this to us? And I, th- I thought I could trust you. I thought you were good. And we did a lot of listening. We did a little bit of sharing also. We said to her, hey, let it out. God's a big boy. He can take anything you're throwing at him. And you know what? That the best conversations are the one where God is guiding through the Holy Spirit. That night, God spoke to all of us because we were inviting him together into the conversation with each other. And he spoke to each other, you know, us together through that conversation. We all left knowing that we had been in a sacred space together. So how can I experience uh, fellowship? Well, let's just recap on what we've said here quickly. First, become a follower of Jesus Christ. Fellowship starts with a relationship with God. God's Holy Spirit affecting us from within is the difference maker that enables any fellowship between people. Friendship plus the Holy Spirit equals fellowship. No Holy Spirit, no fellowship. Secondly, seek God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Stay in step with the Spirit. Work out your salvation. Abide in Christ. Remember, fellowship starts when we are connected vertically. That enables us to connect horizontally. You can't just be in relationship with the Lord to be able to have fellowship with other Christians. You need to be in fellowship with the Lord, and that enables fellowship with believers. Third, connect in community. That's our theme, isn't it, right? Connect in community with other Christ followers. You know, what's that old saying? Half of life is just showing up, right? If you want to have quality time with people, you've got to spend quantity time with people. You can't just decide, hey, t- hey honey, tonight it's going to be a quality date night, you know? No, you have to just keep going on dates, and some of them will be quality date nights, and some of them won't. Been there? Same is true when you're relating to the church. If you want to have quality time, you've got to have, spend some quantity time, okay? Look, we are designed to be a blessing to each other. We're designed to be an authentic community with each other. 
But you got to decide for yourself, how aggressive are you going to be to allow God to be the topic of your conversations, to allow God to be the guide of your conversation in your inner world? If we do that, watch out. We're going to see fellowship in full bloom. So what kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a church of friendship or a church of fellowship? We can come together, you know, a couple thousand of us in this building and be mere friends. Or we could be an authentic community that we share our junk with each other and we love each other anyway. We mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We confess our sins to each other and we're set free through that. We're intentional. We're vulnerable. We talk through our problems with real reconciliation as the goal. What kind of community do you want to be? You know, out there, there's 40 new small group options. That's on top of the small groups that we already have going. And if I told you that you would have awesome fellowship all the time when you get together with God's people, I think I'd be a snake oil salesman. But I do think that you can have some fellowship, some of the time, with some of God's people, and maybe that's more than you've got right now. Let me admit with you, though, just quickly, three things that I think we need to say about small groups. First of all, they're a bit scary. I know that there is a blind date aspect to what we're putting in front of you. But no risk, no reward. At some point, you have to decide, you know, would I be willing to try this? It's a six-week offer that we're giving you. If at the end of the six weeks, it just doesn't feel like the right thing, that's no problem. We all get it. We'll help you find another connection. Secondly, small groups uh, require you to be vulnerable, so you might get hurt. Or maybe you've been hurt by a small group in the past. We are imperfect people that are coming together in imperfect combinations, you have to just, you're going to have to lean into that risk. And then lastly, small groups are inconvenient. I mean, we have a lot going on in our lives. Or, uh, you know, my wife and I in the last small group we, we were in, we would get, everyone would get childcare at their own home. And so every time I was paying the babysitter, I was like, oh man, how bad do I love my small group? You know, yeah, it was worth it. It was worth it. You know, let me show you a picture of a friend of mine. This is uh, Casey Thompson. He lives in the area back where we were just living. He owns a grocery store there. And he was uh, having some marital problems a couple years ago and was looking for some people to connect with and found our church. And through our church, found a group of guys that uh, a friend of mine and I had started a breakfast group. And we were on Wednesday mornings, every Wednesday morning, coming together at a restaurant. There's about 10 of us guys. And, you know, Casey came looking for friendship. And he found something else instead. He found Jesus Christ. And he became a Christ follower. And in the end, he got something way better than friendship. He got fellowship. And he and I talked on the phone this week, and he's doing better than ever in Christ. It's a beautiful thing. I hope, I, uh, I hope the same thing happens for you. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we're delighted to be yours. Thanks for offering up that we could be in these units with each other. May that be game-changing for us and for a watching world. We're looking for the power of the Holy Spirit to do what only the power of the Holy Spirit can do. And we pray this in the exciting name of Jesus Christ. Amen.